0: This episode of the Eggology Club podcast is sponsored by Future Family, a new fertility financing company that helps you afford treatments with packages as low as $75 per month. Plans cover clinic fees, medications, storage, and a nurse concierge. Use offer code eggclub to access exclusive discounts for Eggology Club listeners and visit futurefamily.com today. Your future will thank you. This is Eggology Club podcast episode 19 in due time welcome to the club the eggology club this podcast is redefining the modern day journey to parenthood you're invited to join us as we share empowering real life stories and change the conversation around family planning let's navigate this journey together make sure to follow us at eggologyclub.com and now meet your new bff and fertility host valerie landis
1: Well, hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Ecology Club. I'm your host, Valerie. Well, I know it's been a while since you've heard from me. I apologize for that. I've had a little bit of struggle making this episode. I've actually retaped this podcast. Probably, I'm—I don't know. I think I'm on my fourth or fifth iteration of of trying to create this show. I didn't quite know what to do with all of these emotions. First, I heard this sad news about my dear friend, Angela Bacardo, who recently passed after giving birth to her son during a normal C-section, and that was heartbreaking to hear. She's a nurse for Future Family, which is a sponsor on the show and a bunch of dear friends of mine. We've started a GoFundMe page to help raise funds to support the family of Angela and her baby's future. So please check that out on our show notes. The next thing that kind of threw me for a loop this past month or so, and part of the reason a delay of getting you a show, is I actually felt a lump in my own breast during a normal self-abreast exam. Being 36 and going through hormonal fluxes, it just didn't feel like this should be normal for my breast tissue, and it's October, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. All those factors just had me for a tizzy and put my head in a spin, especially because I wasn't home when I learned and discovered the lump. I did go get it checked out. I had a mammo. I also had a whole breast ultrasound and learned that I have dense breast tissue, which means that it's hard to detect whether a lump is malignant or benign cancer or non-cancerous because my tissue shows up white on imaging. So this is part of the reason for the delay. One of the only ways I can stop and take it out of my brain and quit obsessing about it is to turn it into something creative like a podcast or a writing article, post, blog or you know express it via video. Whether you're thumbing through Instagram or watching YouTube videos or you know reading all these blog posts you know, just keep in mind that we all are going through some of the same shit. It's just all of these social media platforms are like our highlight reel. And so we're giving the best version of ourselves. We're giving the best photos with the best filters and the best captions and the most creative content that may not be completely authentic and true for what is actually happening behind the scenes. And so I have been reminded to not let some of those aspects of seeing people's highlight reels or perfect lives on Instagram and then comparing it to mine because it actually is exactly what I was trying to communicate here on how these platforms give this portrayal of things that are so perfect. But that's not really how life is. And we do go through things and there are struggles and there's things that don't go our way. And that's real. That's raw. That is vulnerable about expressing and sharing that can be really hard to do, but also very freeing when you do it, which is very ironic and timely because that's a little bit about what this episode is about. I want to be very authentic first off. I just want to state it for the record. Um, I'm sorry if I come across any sort of way. It's just exactly how I'm feeling in the moment and dealing with disappointments after other things not working out. And Without going into a ton of detail about that and still being raw and vulnerable with you, I am struggling and it's hard to admit that and it's hard to be honest about where I'm really at, feeling that weight of burden and responsibility and and things that you're counting on not happening as you planned them to kind of manifest and work out. And so, with all of that in mind, It's kind of interesting that the show today be about struggle and kind of like the pain Olympics. So today we have Jennifer Noonan, who is an author and clinical psychologist. She is a secondary infertility survivor. And for those that don't know what secondary infertility is, is explained by being able to conceive naturally the first time with no problems. And then when you go back for baby number two, experiencing some struggle, either getting pregnant, staying pregnant, having miscarriages, those type of things. So I found her super inspiring and I wanted to share our talk with you and hear what she has to say and gain some of her wisdom. But before we dive into the show, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors.
0: It can be frustrating, painful, and even stressful not to be able to produce enough milk to feed your child. But that's where Lilu Pumping Bra comes in. Lilu is a revolutionary bra that automatically compresses the mother's breasts to maximize their milk production and reduce pumping time. With Lilu, mothers can produce up to 50% more milk. Learn more at www.wearlilu.com and pre-order today. Use Egg Club for $75 off and free shipping on your first order. There's nothing more frustrating to a new parent than having to waste precious breast milk. Once your baby drinks from a bottle, that bottle is contaminated with bacteria, which makes remaining breast milk unusable. That's where alou can help. Alu is a patent-pending device that blocks 99.6% of a baby's saliva from contaminating their full bottle. With Alu, when a baby is refed the remaining milk at a later time, they're not exposed to unnecessary bacteria, giving parents peace of mind and giving baby optimal nutrition. For more information, visit MyAlu.com and use the code eggclub at the time of checkout for an Eggology Club member discount.
1: Well, we want to say a big thank you to our sponsors because without our sponsors these shows would not be possible. And so I'm so thankful that you were able to keep listening and check out them. You know, we have a rewards page on the Eggology Club podcast, and you could always reach us. We have a toll-free phone number 978-EGG-CLUB or 978-344-2582. And as always, our email address is eggologyclub at Gmail. You can find us on our, all of our social media channels at eggologyclub. Love to hear from you. I've gotten some really great DMs on Instagram recently. Thanks, ladies, for tuning in. Please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps new people find the show. Really appreciate your feedback. You know, these shows would not be possible without you as a listening audience tuning in. So our guest today is Jen Noonan. She's an author of the book In Due Time, and a lot of her topics that she embarks on is about secondary infertility. So let's dive into Jen's story and hear what she was facing. Hi, Jen. Hi, Valerie. Hey, good to see you. You as well. How about we get to know you a little bit? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay. I'm originally from Chicago, like yourself. And I moved to, I've been living in Denver for about the past 14 years, and that's actually where I met my husband. I had been living in New Zealand, moved back to Chicago, decided to move here, and a friend who I had been living in New Zealand with knew my husband, so she introduced me to him. Of course, you know, as life goes, like we, (laughs) it was kind of on and off, or we kind of dated and this and that over the years, um, and didn't officially... Uh, get together um, until about 2007 or so. But you guys did get married, right? We did get married, yeah, the following year. So it was like all that stuff, you know, (laughs) before I was like, okay, bam, you know, the very next year because we knew each other so well. So
1: joys (laughs) of
2: dating. Yeah, like figuring it out, like, okay, dating other people and seeing that and then coming back together at the end realizing it was each other all along. We were just maybe too young to realize it or right. So, so I
1: was, so how old were you when you got married? I was
2: just going to say, yeah, so I was 31 okay. when we got married, about to be 32, and my husband was 40. He had just turned 40. So we were, I mean, I was on the kind of younger-ish side, um, and he was, you know, um, he was a little bit older, and so I think the thought just occurred to me, we should probably start to try to have a family sooner rather than later, and I had been on the fence about having kids throughout my life um, just because it just it had to be the right person it wasn't that I just I absolutely knew I wanted kids from when I was a little girl you hear all those stories like oh pretending to be a mom and I just always knew I wanted to be a mom and la 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 and that wasn't necessarily the case I always thought that I would have a family but only if I had found the right person and that's just my that was just my preference So I did find the right person, and so I thought, why not try sooner rather than later? Never thinking that there would be any issues. I had been on birth control, so I came off of it, and not that long, only five years or so, Um, but it still seemed to mess with my cycle a little bit. My cycles were shorter initially, and then really long, like 38, 40 days. So we tried. The months kind of went on, and I'm thinking, this isn't this isn't right. I'm healthy. I'm a normal weight. There's no no health issues. No nothing going on. So we finally went to see a reproductive endocrinologist at about nine months. And nine months of yeah, trying to get pregnant. Yeah, nine months of trying. Yeah, and yes, I was under 35. And they say to give it a year, but I just kind of knew. knew. Yeah, if I'm if nothing's happening now, if my cycles are lengthening, I was having night sweats. It was just wow. probably because I was stressing out, but that's a whole other topic. And it it seems crazy, like just you know six months or nine months, and you're freaking out. But it's you just expect to become
1: well. We wait our whole lives, like we try to prevent not getting pregnant, right? And then we finally are ready to have children, and we
2: can't, and that's a hard reality. That was, yeah, I'm kind of a, I accomplish goals for the most part that I set out to accomplish. And if it doesn't look exactly the way that I thought it would, I kind of, okay, I take a little bit of a different path, but usually I kind of get things done. And it, and creating a family just seemed natural. I mean, you look around you and it's just Everybody does it. It seems it's like something uh, in the water. Everyone's pregnant <laughs> until you go through everything, and then you realize, no, that's not actually the case that everyone just conceives easily. But it just—it was just an expectation. So,
1: what did the fertility doctor have to say?
2: Of course, all the tests were normal. The mm-hmm. the my tubes were open. The blood work was normal. A lot of except, and this is still normal, but I had. A lot of follicles, like more than average, so 12 to 15 um, on each ovary, wow. so kind of borderline polycystic ovarian syndrome, but I just didn't, they never mentioned that, and so I never really mm. thought about it, and again, I was under 35, so they just gave me a couple rounds of medication, and at about 11 months, that was 11 months of trying, a couple months of medication, and I got pregnant, and oh,
3: good.
2: everything was normal with the pregnancy not necessarily with the birth c-section all that but it's it yeah so my son was born um in 2010 in October but it just I had always wanted two children and that's mm. just what I expected would happen yeah I mean at a when I did think about having a family even though I was on the fence I did think about having a family of four even you know number possibly a boy and a girl right um yeah. my husband came from a family of five I came wow. from a before we set out to try for our second one, almost a year after our son was could Did you go
1: right back to the fertility clinic because of <laughs> struggling the first time or?
2: I thought my body just knows what to do. I've had a baby and mind you, I did turn 35 almost a year after I had my son. So then I was kind of at that, hmm, but I still didn't, oh, 35, whatever, not a big deal. So no, I didn't jump the gun and go back to that clinic plus we were living in California. That's a whole other story. So I didn't just think, okay, I'm going to go right back to the other clinic here in Denver. About I gave it about three months of trying on our own. Um, and then again, long cycles. And I thought, okay, here we go again. So when we were out in California, yes, I did go to a reproductive endocrinologist out there who prescribed me medication, figured, okay, let's just do the same thing we did last time. Somehow I get pregnant on that first round. Although I thought, okay, great. Yeah, of course. That's supposed to happen. We went in, I went in for the eight-week ultrasound. Mm -hmm. Everything looked normal, great, measuring properly. 12-week ultrasound, which I was actually at 13 weeks. And um, we had told, you know, family, friends, some friends, because, you know, when you already have a healthy pregnancy, uh, you just assume that the next, especially at 12 weeks, that you're all good. Um, And we went in and there was no heartbeat. And it was... Devastating. It's gotten easy. This is about, this is four years ago, and it's still like, whoo! I thought I had kind of moved past. You never expect to hear those words when you don't have any experience with miscarriage right. and when you have, you know, another child already. And it was just, I remember saying, because the, the tech was the one who initially was going, and I, I looked up and I said, oh, is it sleeping? We didn't know the gender at that time. Aww. And I said, oh, is it sleeping? And, uh, cause there was no movement. And he said, oh, just resting, just just resting. Wow, did he, you know he, something was wrong? He knew I didn't. Oh. Um, because you, again, you just don't expect it. So he goes, okay, well, I'm just, I'm gonna go get the doctor and I'll be right back in. And even then I didn't know. Cause we didn't have that much experience with all the stuff that we had experience with after that. And then the doctor came in, and yeah, said, "I'm sorry. There's there's no heartbeat." And my husband—I'll never forget my husband's reaction either. He said, "Are you sure?" And it just—it broke my—and I got angry actually, and said, "Of course she's. Of course she's sure." And it just—it was just just unexpected. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah so yeah just and then going the next week like knowing that the baby that grew to 12 weeks you know in, inside of you is is no longer living it was very difficult to to maneuver through life like knowing wow it was it was there and now it's not so then afterwards i thought okay and i talked to plenty of people now of course everybody kind of came out of the woodwork so i had a miscarriage oh, i my so I'd, like
1: comparison stories started showing up
2: just yeah like oh hey yeah yeah I had one and I had belonged to a mom's group like where we did play dates and stuff out in California and I think when I did the math it was like 25 percent of us had had a miscarriage which which wow makes sense I mean it makes sense was it
1: comforting to talk to other women that had miscarriages too
2: because you yes because you feel normal okay you feel normal and I'm all about support Mm -hmm. I'm um, a psychotherapist by trade, a licensed professional counselor, so I'm all about gaining as much support as you can. And talking it out. Yeah, Yeah, so it's really great to talk to them, to say, okay, this is how the procedure's gonna go, or this is how my procedure went, and you know, you'll be asleep, or they'll this and that, and you might feel like this afterwards, Um, and it's normal, but a lot of them said, I had a miscarriage and then became I got pregnant again a couple months later. Uh Like, that's very common. And so I thought, okay, this is like, I got pregnant, I'll just do it again. And moved back to Colorado. And I just gave it some months, three months of trying on our own, seeing if that would work. And then we... How was your family
1: during this time? I mean, when you had to go back and tell everybody that now the pregnancy wasn't
2: going to be viable we and we had only told I guess like a handful of people and everybody was you know of course overwhelmingly supportive and I guess I was glad that I had told some people just because we didn't have to keep it to ourselves but what was challenging and throughout all this is when you already have a child and then I I was supposed to be parenting my child and it was just it was devastating then you your whole focus is kind of on you know the miscarriage and getting pregnant again and da 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 and they're like okay wait I have this this child to take care of and of course I was absolutely grateful for him throughout all this but we were you know again trying to attempt to to grow your family grow our family right so yeah around the when my son turned 2 is when we then started doing intrauterine inseminations um with medication we tried 3 of those and usually after your third one um third or fourth one it's 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 not going to happen and so you then move up to IVF well Somehow I did become pregnant on the third one. It's kind of a mystery because when we went on to move on to IVF, they had to do a a test, like a pregnancy test. And lo and behold, I was pregnant, but I had bled heavily a couple of weeks, you know, before that. So I said, you know, there's no way that it's viable. And it wasn't viable. So... Mm Then moved on to to IVF. I was dealing with with something called secondary infertility. So the ability to birth a child, to have a first child, but then have trouble having a second one. And it depends. There are a couple of different definitions where one says you didn't, there was no intervention the first time around or no medical anything the first time around. Um, And then others just say you were just able to have a first child. So mm. I was like, well, I, I, yeah, I do fit into secondary, even though I had a little bit of trouble the first time around.
1: Well, so, most people don't realize that one in eight couples struggle with infertility. So, you know, it can be a male factor too, or did they ever check
2: his sperm? or Anything. Yeah, they, they did. And there was nothing going on there. So you yeah. both
1: had like completely unidentified, but infertility issues. No problems per se, but
0: just The know.
2: tests, all the blood work came up normal. Yep. Um, and he... Yeah, my husband was more than, (laughs) was more than adequate. And that's why I just had long cycles and I had a lot of follicles. So Mm -hmm. again, indicative of mild, you know, PCOS, Yeah. but I also was stressing out a lot during this time, a lot. And so I I know, you know, ultimately does stress, yeah, does stress contribute to Mm -hmm. infertility? Over the years, I've thought about that a lot more and I I do believe it does. So they they couldn't come up with anything. Even when we did go through IVF, they were able to retrieve, you know, 26 eggs and 22 fertile and great I think 11 made it to blast and then we ended we did do chromosomal testing on them just because I didn't want to endure another miscarriage and we ended up with six embryos so fabulous right so again I go into it like woo it's I'm confident we have you know six embryos that's a good number and I'm I was only 36 at the time that we froze them. And our chances are my lining looked good and everything, all the hormones, everything. And on our first frozen embryo transfer, it kind of took, but it didn't. You know, you're supposed to have a at least a 51 HCG and I had 49 and...
1: Oh. Right on the
2: border. And just, and it's just, i just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And all this time, like secondary infertility is kind of unique in that there's not as much support for people because we already have a child. Right. So you look at like, well, you're, there's. You already have one. You, you already have one. So not only do we not feel as much empathy for you, but we don't, the people who don't know that you're struggling just think, well, you're, you're fertile. You already, cause, cause you have a child. If you don't tell them what's going on. And, you know, you're trying to raise your child, like I said before, and while you're trying to raise your child, you're going to museums and parks and birthday parties and play dates and the library and church and everywhere. Where people seem to be pregnant with their a A double stroller and their (laughs) yeah they have a year set set of twins yeah it's it's all over so while somebody with secondary notices the people who are pregnant and with a child, you know, people who don't have a child yet, you know, just notice the pregnant women, but they're not necessarily in all those places where, where moms are, where kids are, where, you know, when I didn't have my son, I wasn't frequenting, you know, the children's museum and parks and places like that. So it's really kind of in your face. So then when you go online, I used Resolve as um, an online support.
0: They're great. Quite a bit. Yeah.
2: Wonderful. Except where secondary infertility people are kind of segregated, which is nice because we can, you know, relate to each other. But God forbid if you go over, if, if you make any kind of a mention, you know, that you have a child already. Um, I kind of made that mistake by asking a question. There, there are a lot of people that mostly there are people on there who do not have a child already. Mm. And so I went into a category, just IUIs, IVF, where you can ask you know, questions. And you do kind of put a disclaimer at the top if you already...
1: Like a description about who you are and what your situation is? Well, you
2: put is. a disclaimer that you already have a child oh. so that if... And it's something acronym like MENS or something where you said MENS. Like I'm about to say something, so if you don't, that could be triggering. So if you don't want to read, oh, you know, below, here's the heads don't up. Do it. And so you do like ments and then you scroll, you wait, and you put your message like down there. And that's what I, that's what I did. However, since I didn't post it in the secondary infertility category, there was some. Bullying? Anger. And I wouldn't say bullying. No, it was just kind of a really appreciate it. If you would, if you really appreciate if you wouldn't post here, like, oh, oh. there's a category, there's a secondary, you know, category. Now that's- So you
1: were categorized being in the wrong category. You were basically told that. You're in the wrong space.
2: Yeah. Even wow. though I was asking a question about IUI, IVF. Sure. Which is all the same
1: for everyone. Regardless whether you've had one child or not, the pregnancy idea is still the same.
2: It's similar, right. Exactly. And there aren't that many people in the secondary, so you wouldn't get responses sure. to your questions as frequently as yeah, you would. Yeah, of course. But I was very you know, cautious to mention ahead of time. So it's it's very delicate and there's a lot of, you know, totally
1: emotionally driven and huge
2: anxiety, yeah. depression, you know, p- people have spent years and years trying to have a child. And I, I totally respect that. It was, I already had one child and it was the most emotionally challenging thing that I've ever been through. So I can only imagine people who didn't, you know, have that one child, like how, how intense it's, sure. it's, it's, and to, I mean, to this day, it's the hardest thing I've dealt with mm-hmm. ever. and that's, it sounds kind of silly it's like just having a child like really is it that but it goes on emotionally
1: invested though you know what I mean like you you had a lot into the whole process and and it was your dream and so it's hard to let go of that dream but was that part of the motivation for writing your book in due time
2: the I finally got to so when that first frozen embryo transfer failed I just said I'm like this is Enough is enough, and I had always, you know, dabbled with writing in the past. Nothing, of course, professionally, but I had always kind of enjoyed writing, and I journaled a lot, and. I turned to my husband and I said, that's, it. I've got to write about this. I've got to, to, it All just, I mean, world. to me, it just seemed like, yeah, that like miscarriage and then another like kind of miscarriage and months and months of this. And you I can't be to...
1: the only one you can't be, yeah, right? I just, but so you like, don't well, have that community yet.
2: I knew there had to be so many of us and I knew by like going online that there, that there were um, and that I just wanted to show, just to say to people, like, you're not alone. This is my story. And hopefully you can relate to it and not feel as alone and get the word out. And it was, you know, really, at the end of the day, it was a form of therapy. Just getting yeah. the story down, writing it all out. And it was a hard form of therapy because I'd yeah. be sitting in Starbucks writing. And I wrote about the mis- the 12-week miscarriage at that point and just yeah, kind yeah. of like bawling Emotional. to myself. But doing, yeah, doing the, and trying to, you, you know. Not be noticed. Yeah, which is, I mean, with infertility, we we try to keep this hush-hush. You know, like I was watching some of your videos on your website with with egg freezing. Like, well, let's, you know, because people might think it's kind of weird or let's keep it quiet or let... Right, it might know, affect like your dating
1: life or someone might think that you're baby crazy.
2: Exactly. And it, there's this kind of, you know, Figma. secrecy, this, this shame to it that, you know, I don't want to be discovered. And I just kind of wanted to help ease that, that, that doesn't, it doesn't have to be, that's not the way it has to be. There's something that we, in the community we call the pain Olympics. And I don't know if you've heard about the pain Olympics. <laughs> pain Olympics is kind of comparing your stories like to one another to see who has it worse and to see who wins the pain Olympics. So, you know, those who try, you know, you can have tried for three months to conceive. You can have tried for eight years and had five miscarriages. And of course the one who tried for eight years and had five miscarriages they've been because they're, they had the, the most painful story. So it's been somewhat difficult having, you know, it only taking 11 months to conceive, you know, my, first child, because it can tend to be like, well, that was nothing. That was nothing. You didn't have to do IVF yet. (laughs) Yeah. Like, well, I I had five miscarriages and I had, you know, and really all of our stories are valid, Mm -hmm. whether it's, I can't find somebody to procreate with to, it took me six months and I was expecting it to be two months to... Mm I had to use donor egg. I mean, they're all valid and they're all, if we consider them painful, like our journey painful and that it was challenging, it is. And it's not just because...
1: Your story is just, worse than someone else's. Yeah,
2: right? and that's, it's really sad because I'm still, I'm involved in the community now and, and I see it and it's, it's sad. There's way more of a response to people's stories who have had it worse. You know, there's a bigger like, oh, poor you, you know, rather than...
1: But your story doesn't end with just one child, so how about you share a little oh, bit right. about yes. <laughs> what happened next so, with
2: you? Yeah, and after the first ovarian embryo transfer, we had to wait about three months to do another transfer, which is torture in the journey. Three months. Looking back on it, it seems like nothing, but it just it goes on and on. So I, I changed a lot of things. At that time, I went gluten-free. I meditated for about 45 minutes um, every morning. I just, I said, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. And I just, I Release let it. go. I I can't, obviously, I can't control this. So I have to let, let go of the outcome. And I mean, yes, that was... <laughs> (laughs) True to a certain degree, letting go of the final outcome. Of course, I, you know, I'd had that seed of hope that this would work. We transferred one the second time and that did end up taking. And it's one of those things where if you've been through miscarriages before, losses before, I was on pins and needles right. every single week, like doing the blood work tests, thinking, is it gonna stay? Is it gonna stay? Is it gonna stay? And I don't think I relaxed until I never fully relaxed, but I didn't relax until the 20-week ultrasound, which is the big one. And we yeah. didn't even tell our son until 19 weeks, which was he's so observant. And he was three at the time. And he was like, You're what's wrong? What's going on with your belly? What what is that? You know, you'd ask what what is that? And kind of put I'm like, oh, then change the subject. So how funny it puts fear in you. And we certainly didn't tell as many people, nearly as many people that we were. were,
1: You were cautious and optimistic, but realizing that what your experience before had affected you. So it could happen again.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Easily. And so I said, okay. And I had sent an email the first time saying it didn't work and we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of reassess and keep our plans to ourselves yeah, you know, please don't you know, ask
1: about this. Yeah. And beca- yeah. And and it's hard because, you know, your family cares and they're asking only because they care. But those questions are so hard to answer. You're just like, just yeah. don't talk to me about it. I just well, don't want to talk about yeah,
2: it. Yeah. And family and friends may care, but I really believe that unless you've been through some kind of an experience related to fertility, it's, it's tough to really... To get it to relate, so mm-hmm. while you do appreciate the support, it's like you can only you, you can explain really like your- so much. Yeah. Yeah, and so I didn't want to go into. I mean, obviously, this is this stuff is very. It's just very, very detailed. Um, yeah. Week by week by week by week, I just please, please, you know, okay, stay, okay. continue to do the meditation, all yeah. of that, and yeah, ended up having a vaginal birth. You know, after I had had oh a cesarean, which is which is my wish and intention and, and all of that. So sitting here today with a completed family, which feels. Oh,
1: that's wonderful.
2: Fabulous. Well, thank Although, you
1: for sharing your story. You've been so open, and I think it's just a really neat way to look at it. Like you've taken really all the pieces and and brought it for good. And I think thankful that you're you're out there and and sharing that.
2: Yeah, and I appreciate you letting me tell my story. It's. Aww.
1: Well, that's what this community is all about. So, well, thanks so much. And we're going to keep up with you as your kids grow and, and um, show everybody um, your book in case they want to read more details about each and every um, journey piece that you went through. And uh, take care. Great. Thanks, Valerie. Bye. 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 Well, I don't know about you, but I just love Jen Noonan. I tried to meet up with her while I was in ASRM. In Denver, but unfortunately, our schedules didn't align. So I was hoping to give her a big hug. Her journey with secondary infertility is a tough one. And October actually is Infancy and Pregnancy Loss Awareness Month, which reminds me if you know someone that has in the past gone through a miscarriage, or maybe recently a friend or a family member dealt with a loss of this kind, I really want to tell you about Dr. Laura Shaleen's book called Not Broken. Now she has two versions of this book on Amazon, Not Broken, and then Not Broken illustrated version, which can be used as a gift. And so I want to encourage you to check out that we'll put it in our show notes today. So I'd like to take a moment and just turn to a quick discussion I had with Dr. Shaleen about this book. Tell us a little bit about your books and sure. how that can help um, oh, the these. patients that are that are reading them.
3: Sure, absolutely. So the first one is really it's not broken, an approachable guide to miscarriage and recurrent pregnancy loss, and I really wrote this after I realized that. Even within an hour consult, nobody can absorb everything that I'm saying. Like, I talk about the tests that we're doing, and I talk about the treatment options, but people leave, I think, knowing that they're in good hands, but they don't really understand what we're doing, and so I just wanted them to have a resource where they could look and see, you know, why are we doing this particular blood test? Why are we checking the uterus? You know, what are we looking for? You know, what are the treatment options? Really, it has everything from, you know, each test to each treatment option to controversies and care because, you know, there's so much out there that's really gray in the area of miscarriage. Or and conflicting advice. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole chapter on just emotional well-being and support, which I think is really important. And then there's a chapter on men, you know, because they often get left out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is very important. So it's kind of like a homework guidebook to, yeah. to
1: build off of what they learned when they were with you.
3: Right. Mm-hmm. And I want it to be a resource. The, the point of it is to help people understand and hopefully learn how to be an advocate for themselves. I, I understand that we can't see every single patient, but it's a way that people could maybe get information and have a really fulfilling conversation with the provider that they're seeing. Right. Right.
1: Well, that was a snippet of my talk with Dr. Laura Chalene out of Pacific Northwest Fertility Center in Seattle. To hear more about our discussion and the extended version of our video that we recorded at ASRM, check out experience.com. Now, it's also in combination, ironically, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And there are several new states that have adopted coverage and care for anyone that is going through a life-threatening illness, that fertility is actually covered under those states like Illinois or Connecticut or Rhode Island. I think Massachusetts is another one. And so that effort has been an ongoing battle and war we've been trying to win with access to care. I really feel passionate about access to care and I had teamed up with Melissa Thompson who took the charge and led a lot of the crusading for changing the bills in Congress and the House and the Senate. And so I just want to give a big shout out to Melissa because I was able to hang out with her at ASRM. So it's time now to take a quick break and hear a word from
0: our sponsors. When you want to start a family, but traditional methods aren't an option, consider using Mosey. Mosey is the first syringe designed specifically to help you conceive at home. Endorsed by fertility experts, Mosey is worth trying before expensive and invasive options like IUI and IVF. To learn more about how Mosey has helped families conceive from all walks of life, visit MoseyBaby.com. That's M-O-S-I-E Baby.com. And use code EggClub for 10% off your order. As you prepare your body for fertility treatments or pregnancy, finding the right prenatal regimen is essential. Theralogix provides the highest quality, independently certified fertility supplements. Theralogix guarantees proper dose accuracy, purity of raw ingredient, and freedom from contaminants. Thousands of health care providers recommend Theralogix every day. For more information, call 800-449-4447. That's 800-449-4447 or visit Theorologix.com. That's T-H-E-R-A-L-O-G-I-X.com to get your supplements today. Be sure to use the code egg for preferred pricing.
1: Thanks for sticking with us. It's time now for the Egg Club shout out. And today I'd like to honor Kat Dudler. and she started a company called Embaro, which is helping patient access to care. I want to give her a quick shout out. So her Instagram name is Embaro, E M. B O R R O W. She's also on the other social media channels, but I want to give her just a big hug, virtual hug, because she shared some very personal stuff about how she's going through the fertility journey. She froze her eggs when she was younger and then met her husband. And now at 40, they are trying to start their family. So it's been a little bit of a rocky journey. As they have been doing fresh cycles and they're trying to now use her frozen eggs and so I want to just send some positive vibes to you Kat. As always if you have any comments questions or things that are on your mind please reach out to us. We have all of our social media channels at Eggology Club. You can reach us at our our toll-free phone number plus one if you're not in the states 978 Egg Club that's 978 344 2582. Our email is eggologyclub at gmail.com. I can't thank you enough for listening. Please don't keep this podcast to yourself. If you enjoyed the show today, tell a friend, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps others find the show. So I really appreciate your help on that. Thank you for coming along this journey as we dive into all of the things that affect our fertility, our family planning issues. I just want you to be informed and well-educated on all the key things that surrounding your, your fertility goals. We're not in this alone, and that is the key takeaway of today's show, is that together we're stronger, and that's why we have the Egg Club community, is for us to be a part of each other's lives and support one another. So thanks so much for listening today.
0: You've been listening to episode 19 of the Eggology Club podcast in due time. On the next show, we will be talking to Winnie Lee, who is a sexual assault survivor. Winnie explains how freezing her eggs allowed her time to not only heal, but bravely talk about her attack and provide a unique perspective within the Me Too movement. You won't want to miss her brave story. Today's episode of Ecology Club was hosted by Valerie Landis. With a special thanks to our guest. Voiceover was provided by Shannon Holly. The theme music is by John Rosso. Cover artwork and logo by Lily Chen. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, leave a rating on iTunes and contact us at ecologyclub.com. Have you heard about the new app everybody in the fertility world is buzzing about? It's all about Freeze My Eggs app. This app is a new decision aid tool for women who are interested in freezing their eggs for personal or medical reasons. Inside the Freeze My Eggs app, you'll find essential information about the science of egg freezing. You'll get a calculator to estimate your success rates to analyze whether you are leaning toward or away from egg freezing. Download the Freeze My Eggs app for free from the App Store or Google Play. No login or registration is required to use. Check out the website freezemyeggs.me. F-R-Z-M-Y-E-G-G-S dot M-E. Search the app freeze my eggs. F-R-Z-M-Y-E-G-G-S. Do you love red wine and coffee, but you care about keeping your teeth white? Then you need to be a diva. A Vino Diva. Vino Diva is a usable wine aeration straw. It aerates your wine with every sip to make it taste incredible. And it protects your smile from red wine and coffee stains. Search Vino Diva on Amazon today. Every woman has the little black dress. Now, every woman needs the little black straw. Vino Diva.